Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello once again, everybody. And thank you for joining me in the betters box. It's bangthebook.com's MLB betting podcast for Monday, August 10th. I am your host, Adam Burke. As you know, this and every edition of the betters box presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% 100% deposit match bonus for the sports book, 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. Daily picks and tips piece goes up every day over at bangthebook.com. We're also covering UFC, golf, NASCAR, NHL, NBA. I'll have some first round playoff preview series for the NHL coming out here today, along with a golf preview for this week's event. What a great PGA Championship we had over the weekend. We'll talk golf, NASCAR, and NHL on tomorrow's edition of Banging the Book Radio with Brian Blessing, of course, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. But today, it's all about baseball here on the Betters Box. And, you know, obviously, we start with some disappointing football news here this morning with the report that the Big Ten not going to play. We already saw the MAC cancel play last week. Uh, seems like some of the other Power Five conferences may follow the Big Ten here, may hope to play in the spring. We'll see if that winds up happening. But for right now, we're still preparing for the NFL season. Obviously, no preseason games being played or anything like that. But if you do want to sign up for the contests out in Las Vegas, Maddie and Tony over at footballcontest.com should be your preferred proxy service. They've been our proxies for a long time. They've been great to us. They are very, very reliable, very easy to get in contact with them. So Maddie and Tony over at footballcontest.com, definitely the route to go with that. And I understand that people are probably a little bit hesitant here uh, with the fact that, you know, we don't know if the NFL season is going to go. But of course, if the NFL season doesn't go, you know, these contests will refund your entry fees. Yeah, you still have to go out to Vegas to do it and you have to use a proxy if you don't live in the state of Nevada. But when you look at the Circus Sports Million here for this year, 178 entries at time of recording, there's a $3 million guaranteed prize pool for the Circa Million. So right now, there's an overlay in that contest of more than $2.8 million. That number will be updated here on Monday, uh, but still, you know, a very large overlay in that Circus Sports Million, $1,000 to enter. And if you are going to enter that contest, make sure you check out Maddie and Tony over at footballcontest.com. All right, we'll start with the Monday mailbag here for today's show. Then we'll go beyond the box score. I'll give you a look down the lines, touch on some guys that we're already seeing some market steam on or against based on their 2020 numbers. Give you a pick for tonight and then a preview of the weekend ahead. So we start with a real quick Monday mailbag question here. This one from our good buddy David on Twitter. Dave, a regular listener of the show, reaches out to me all the time about some great music from the 70s and 80s. David, always appreciate our chats, man. The question from him here today, with the seven-inning doubleheaders and all the uncertainty of who will play, do you think it is best just to avoid these doubleheaders altogether? 
I think the answer is kind of yes and no. You know, I think you have to look at these situations individually. You don't want to paint any of them with a broad brush. You have to ask yourself, when you look at these things, will both teams stay engaged throughout the day? Will both teams stay engaged for both games? You know, I think right now, probably, and we kind of saw that with the Phillies and Yankees, the Phillies maybe just happy to be back out there. Uh, the Yankees, you know, getting blown out in game one, hanging around in game two, winning that game uh, in the seventh inning. But down the line, probably not. And obviously, we've got a lot of postponements here so far. Um, you know, the teams that have had the issues with COVID, namely the Marlins and the Cardinals, but obviously the teams that they were supposed to play against as well. So as we get deeper into this whole thing and the playoff picture is starting to take shape a little bit more, you can seriously ask yourself, you know, will both of these teams be motivated? And I think you will find some scenarios down the line where both teams just simply won't be motivated. One team will have a lot more to gain than another. So I think that is something you can take a look at here as we go down the line a little bit more with this season. But for right now, I think both teams are still pretty engaged. You know, there are only a couple of teams that are very clearly out of the playoff chase at this point in time. But, you know, too, you look at these teams like the Cardinals, for example, that are going to have to play, you know, a lot of games in a short period of time. These doubleheaders become that much more difficult. And we'll see how Major League Baseball works out the logistics of that. But for right now, I, I think you probably avoid most of them. But I think as we go forward here, may have some motivational angles in play. One other thing I would mention here is that because these doubleheaders have been shrunk down to seven innings now, you know, those six outs at the end of a ball game are very important and they can be very difficult to get. These doubleheaders do protect teams that have bad bullpens. So maybe there's an underdog angle to be had there where you know teams that maybe have one or two good relievers, well, those are going to be your primary guys, at least in game one if you're in that position. So maybe the teams that don't have great bullpen depth do get a little bit of a respite here with the fact that these are seven-inning doubleheaders. And of course, too, you know, you'll get the teams where their starters are already stretched out. They're capable of going six or seven innings, stuff like that. So, you know, they're difficult, obviously. And again, for game two, more often than not, you may not know who's going to be starting game two. And with all these bets being action this year, that's a real challenge. But I wouldn't stay completely away, but I would need a very compelling reason not to play game one or game two of a doubleheader. David, appreciate the question. You can always reach out on Twitter at Skating Tripods or email me, skatingtripods at gmail.com if you have questions for the Monday Mailbag. We take a look beyond the box score here, and, you know, now that we've got some semblance of data, I mean, we still don't have statistically significant sample sizes in most cases across the board, but we're starting to get some better data with some more numbers and analysis pieces out there, and We've seen some interesting things come out over the last few days. The ball is different. The ball is dead. We know that. But we now we have some actual quantifiable evidence of the fact that the baseball has been dejuiced. At best, the baseball looks like the 2018 version of the baseball, where we did see home runs drop across the league. Uh, you know, balls just aren't carrying as much. We're not seeing the same results on high exit velocity contact. So, yes, the ball is dead. It looks like this will be more of an underseason than anything else. However, over the weekend, I did notice that the odds makers have started to make those adjustments. More seven and a half and seven full game totals, 
more three and a half uh, first five totals. So adjustments have been made here. There may be some more value on the overs now at this point in time. But again, you're going up against a dead baseball in those situations. We've also seen an increase in shifts to left-handed hitters. I believe it was Jason Collett on Twitter who actually tweeted that more than 50% of left-handed batters are getting shifted now. The highest percentage that we've seen here so far. And again, I mean, this makes a lot of sense. You know, teams are, every game is magnified. Every game is more important. So anything that you can do to try and get any semblance of a competitive edge does make some sense. Also, too, you know, I've talked a lot about the fact that guys are throwing fewer fastballs. Fewer fastballs, fewer sinkers, stuff like that. The one thing about those off-speed and breaking pitches is that guys will get out in front of them and hook them. So you probably, and I'll have to wait and see if we get some more data on this, you probably won't see as much opposite field contact this season because guys are going to be facing slower pitches on average. When you get fastballs and sinkers, guys will hit them the other way. They'll be late getting through the hitting zone, stuff like that. So they'll use the opposite field. But with an increased number of slower pitches, guys are going to get out. They're going to be out in front of those things, and they're going to wind up pulling the ball. So I think what we may end up seeing here, oddly enough, is an increase in pull percentage, but a decrease in slugging percentage. And generally, when you think about doubles and home runs, a lot of times they are pulled balls because you're going to pull the ball with more authority than you're going to hit it to the opposite field. But this year, with a lot more pulled ground balls probably, and this increase in shifts and all of that, I would presume that's a big reason why platoon splits are down quite a bit and also assume that's why, you know, in a lot of cases, lefties aren't performing as well against righties because we've got this increase in shifts. And when you talk about the increase in shifts and you talk about the dead-end baseball, we're looking at the lowest batting averages on balls in play in MLB history, lowest batting average ever quite possibly. And of course, too, this coincides with yet another high strikeout environment. So a lot of strikeouts, decreased contact quality, less carry to the baseball, more shifting. All of this is leading to a really subdued offensive environment in Major League Baseball. So That is an adjustment that has to be made if you're out there handicapping, and it does seem like an adjustment that, in a lot of cases, the odds makers have already made for this season as well. One thing I also took a look at here today, no real big difference in pitchers pitching on extended rest. We've seen a lot of this here because of those COVID postponements and all of that. Pitchers on four days rest, so your regular turn going every fifth day, They've allowed a 228 batting average, 299 on base, 390 slugging percentage. Five days rest, a 233 average, 308 on base, 393 slugging. Six plus days, 233 average, 306 on base, 410 slugging percentage. So guys going on really extended rest have seen a spike with slugging percentage, but have not seen a spike with batting average or on base percentage. So again, something for you to keep in mind here, you know, we're getting spot starters and weird things like that, but guys on six or more days rest, maybe don't have a feel for some of those secondary stuff like that. So they do wind up giving up a little bit more in terms of slugging percentage, but on the whole, the big story here, again, offense just down across the league. And I don't know if that winds up changing 
uh, even as hitters get their timing down a little bit more. But as far as you know, strikeout numbers go, every fifth day, guys on four days rest do have the highest strikeout numbers and the best strikeout to walk ratios. So this makes sense. Guys that are going on a regular turn are simply sharper across the board. More strikeouts, fewer walks, lower slugging percentage. So that may be a betting angle here as we go forward. Pitchers on four days rest against guys that are pitching with an extended layoff. Those guys on four days rest just may be in a little bit better of a rhythm. Real quickly here, one last note, just as we all expected, the Baltimore Orioles, third in the league in weighted on base average. They're the third best offense in baseball uh, in weighted on base average. So just like we all expected, 2020 playing out uh, in a crazy kind of way to some degree. All right, so we look at some series that just wrapped up here. And the Oakland A's, they swept the Houston Astros. And for the Astros here, five runs scored in the 31 innings of this series. They only drew seven walks. They only had 18 hits. Jose Altuve is not right. Alex Bregman's off to a slow start. Michael Brantley was dinged. He missed a couple of games last week. Carlos Correa is hitting, but he's batting sixth. And no one will ever confuse Dusty Baker for putting together good lineups because that was never something that he really did. The Astros are in an interesting spot here. Now all of a sudden they're six and nine. Verlander's out. Half the bullpen's gone. Half the offense is struggling. Are they taking this season seriously? You know, have they lost some of that competitive advantage? Because you look at the Astros, and one of the things that set them apart, the sign-stealing scheme aside, is that they had a lot of smart people in that front office. And I think they were very good at conveying that information to the hitters. Very good at conveying those scouting reports and stuff like that. And I sort of wonder if they've kind of lost that here with some of the turnover in the front office based on the sign-stealing thing with A.J. Hinch no longer in the dugout. But maybe it's just apathy. Maybe the Astros just don't care about this 60-game sprint of a season. Maybe these guys just want to go out there and do what they have to do and not get hit by pitches and just sort of go through the motions here. And I wonder if that may be the case. They have dropped five straight, and I don't want this to be a slight of the Oakland A's. I mean, the Oakland A's have gotten outstanding pitching all season long. But Houston doesn't look like the same team. And again, they've had some injuries. They've had a lot of things go wrong here at the outset. But maybe that does lead to apathy. Maybe that does lead to them just kind of throwing in the towel on this season and saying, you know what? We're going to use these young kids. We're going to protect Zach Granke. We're going to protect Ryan Presley. We're just going to see what we have organizationally with our pitching. You know, maybe Jose Altuve goes on the IL and sits there for a while or something like that. So I think the Astros just maybe aren't all that engaged here at this point in time. And I am taking a shot against them here tonight with the San Francisco Giants at a big underdog price. Just wondering if maybe this weekend was kind of a sign that the Astros just aren't really fully invested here. But again, Look, the A's are a phenomenal defensive team. They've got very good pitching. They've got an outstanding bullpen. And they've done just enough on offense. You know, their offense is not putting up the numbers that we saw from them last year. No, you know, very few teams are. But the A's hit six home runs in this series off of Astros pitching. So Oakland, you know, is getting by offensively. They're using their relievers creatively. 
They've gotten some excellent starting pitching from a lot of different guys. Maybe the A's are just that good. Maybe this doesn't say anything about the Astros, but the A's are just that good. And it does seem like that's the case. They're getting a lot of love out there in the sharp markets. They got steamed a little bit in some of these games here. People have taken notice of how well the A's are playing, how well the A's are pitching. And it seems like they're positioning themselves very well for a nice run here this year. The Tampa Bay Rays took three out of four from the Yankees. And the big story for the Yankees here coming out of this series is that Giancarlo Stanton on the IL once again, this time with a strained hamstring. You know, the, the, uh, the Yankees hit three home runs in game one of the doubleheader. They didn't hit any more in this series. And Tropicana Field is a bad offensive park. I expected this to be a lower scoring series for the most part. There were a lot of strikeouts. There were some walks in this series. Not a ton of contact quality uh, on either side. But James Paxton was dominant for six innings in his start here against the Rays. And then ran into trouble in the seventh. And this is something that is very important to look at from a live betting standpoint. And the more I bet on these sports, the more I write up this content and all of that, the more it seems like, honestly, live betting is the only way to do this. You know, pre-game, you're, you're, there's so much guesswork involved before the game. You know, we've got all of these analytics and we've got all of these game plans and we've got all of these preconceived notions and everything like that. But there seems to be no substitute for live betting games, for seeing things with your eyes, for seeing how the stats are playing out early on in the games. Maybe that's just the way to attack this thing now. But in any event, starting pitchers the first time through the order have held the opposition to a 211 average with a 288 on base and a 365 slugging. Second time through the order, 244 average, 317 OBP, 419 slugging. The third time through the order, 259 average, 327 on base, a 486 slugging percentage against. So in this dead ball era, in this era where, you know, the hitters are trying to figure things out on the fly, the pitchers are trying to stretch themselves out a little bit, the third time through has been a massive departure from the first and second times through. And really, from a slugging percentage standpoint, pitchers are fatiguing. Pitchers are getting tired around that sixth and seventh inning. And hitters have actually taken advantage. So the times through the order penalty for the third time through, and we saw that with Paxton here over the weekend, that is really penal for these pitchers here at this point in time. And that will create a lot of live betting opportunities for you throughout the rest of the season and certainly here in the short term as well. How about the Kansas City Royals? A sweep of the Minnesota Twins. Now the Minnesota Twins are still 10 and 6, but over their last 13 games, they're batting 219 as a team, 298 on base, 382 slugging percentage over their last 7 games facing Pirates and Royals pitching. 227, 318, 367. They hit four solo home runs. In this series against the Royals, they had five home runs total. But the Twins, outside of that opening series against the White Sox, have not been a good offensive ball club. They've been winning with pitching. And there are two ways to look at this. The first is to say, wow, their pitching is pretty good. The second is to say, wow, they're winning games and their offense isn't doing anything. 
And I would fully anticipate the Twins have too much talent, too many good hitters for this to continue. I would fully anticipate their offense getting things going here. So I think the Twins probably have a buy sign next to them right now. Even though they just got swept by the Royals, I think this is a team that is very clearly underachieving on the offensive side. And if they're going to get this quality level of pitching, I think there are some buy signs for Minnesota right now in the betting markets. But the Royals here, I mean, kudos to them. You know, they hit six home runs in the series. They've made a lot of hard contact this year. I've talked about kind of liking their offense a little bit more than I expected. And then in this series, they actually got some pitching. And their bullpen has been excellent so far this year, much better than I anticipated. And Mike Matheny's doing well, too. You know, he's not pushing the starters too far. He's been putting the, the relievers in positions to succeed. I give Mike Matheny a lot of credit here with what he's done with this Royals ball club. But the big thing to me coming out of this series is that even though the Twins got swept, even though their offense is not hitting right now, I still think there's a buy side because there's way too much offensive talent for this team to continue looking like this. But speaking of bullpens, and the Twins and Royals have both had solid bullpens here, let's touch on a couple of outliers. FIP and left-on-base percentage outliers here. Look at the best bullpens by FIP, fielding independent pitching. The A's are number one at 187. The Cardinals are actually number two, but I'm going to leave them out here from a sample size standpoint. Indians are second at 225. Dodgers third, 226. Rays, 284. Braves, 287. Now, these are all very good, very talented bullpens. I would expect some natural regression from the A's and the Indians and the Dodgers just because they're massive outliers, you know, relative to the mean. Uh, But, you know, those are the five best here from a FIP standpoint. The five worst are the Cubs at 671, the Mariners 644, Reds 611, Giants 565. The Phillies are actually fifth or, uh, yeah, fifth worst or fourth worst, I think they are, but I'm going to leave them out due to sample size. Then the Padres at 529. So the Padres bullpen, I expected to be a lot better. They have really been a massive disappointment here so far. And again, much like the Twins at 10 and 6 with this bad offense, the Padres are playing well, getting good offense, getting decent starting pitching, and the bullpen, which I thought would be their biggest strength this year, has not been. So again, a team that maybe there's a little bit of a buy sign there because their bullpen should be better than it has been. But some left-on-base percentage outliers here. You know, last year, the Houston Astros had the highest left-on-base percentage at 77.6%. This season, there are eight teams in Major League Baseball with a left-on-base percentage over 80%. And again, we do have small sample sizes here. And this is a small sample size season relative to the full 162. But you would still expect some of these teams to regress a little bit and not strand as many of these runners, which of course would run up some of their numbers. You take a look at the Marlins, for example. 82.3% left on base percentage is the highest in baseball. They have the highest walk rate or one of the highest walk rates as a bullpen. One of the lowest strikeout rates. They have a 335 bullpen ERA with a 506 FIP, 82.3% left on base percentage, 223 BABIP. The Marlins bullpen is going to regress. The A's, 81.7% left on base percentage, 
Nationals, 81.3. I would expect them to regress. Indians, 81.2%. Some natural regression to a 151 ERA, to say the least. But they should still be pretty good, given how they've done so far. The Diamondbacks, 81.1%. 411 ERA, 484 FIP. They could regress a little bit. The Braves, Twins, and Dodgers, also with left on base percentages, over 80%. Now, again... In the small sample size, you will get more of these outliers than you would in a traditional season, but the Marlins and the Diamondbacks are two bullpens I would clearly expect regression from uh, in the not-too-distant future here. We also have teams that are on the low end of left-on-base percentage. Last year, the lowest left-on-base percentage for bullpens was the Nationals at 67.3%. This year, the Reds are bringing up the rear at 54.5%. So the Reds' bullpen is very much in line for positive regression here. The Pirates, 61.5%. Phillies, 63.6%. Giants, 65.1%. And Cubs, 66 So as we look at some of these teams and the luck they've had with stranding runners, there are some negative regression teams, like the Marlins, like the Diamondbacks, and there are some positive regression teams, like the Reds and the Pirates and the Phillies and probably the Giants. So again, looking at things from a live betting context, maybe there will be some opportunities there with those teams. For the Down the Line segment, instead of going through actual specific games from the weekend, I wanted to mention that we've already seen some people, it would appear, using 2020 stats to create some market steam, looking at ERA, FIP, and XFIP. Now, these sample sizes are entirely too small for people to be doing that, but I do think that it is happening out there in the marketplace. So I'm not saying that you want to back these guys. What I am saying is that I think line moves will be happening on some of these guys and on some of these teams. So if you're out there looking to scalp or middle the market, or you just want to get out there and get in front of the market, get a good number, and then decide if you want to hold that position or not, Here are some guys you may want to take a look at. Matt Boyd, 920 ERA with a 529 FIP. Mike Miner, 689 ERA, 367 FIP. The thing about Mike Miner, though, is that last season he had a low ERA and a higher FIP. So he was kind of a fade guy, a negative regression candidate coming into the season. It seems like the market may view that as some normalization a little bit in his numbers so maybe the market doesn't move on him here going forward just saying you know what he was going to struggle anyway but again he's got an era that's three runs higher than his fifth so maybe that will create some moves out there i don't know but you do want to watch a guy like that as we go forward here luis castillo 467 era 173 fifth line moves will happen on him for sure tyler chatwood 540 era 244 fifth He's got one bad start. And that's another thing, too, is that some of these guys that have these high ERAs will have two good starts and one awful start or something like that. That's the case of Chatwood, who was awful his last time out. So that's something you want to take a look at here, too. Fun with sample sizes. You know, guys that have high ERAs have maybe pitched well twice and struggled once. So that's something you want to factor into the equation a little bit as well. Andrew Heaney, 426 ERA, 244 FIP. Aaron Nola, 397 ERA, 218 FIP. So again, high FIP or high ERA, lower FIP. Maybe some line moves coming in on some of those guys. 
Now, on the flip side here, lower ERAs, higher FIPs. Alec Mills of the Cubs, 138 ERA, 405 FIP. Merrill Kelly, 229 ERA, 424 FIP. Lance Lynn, a 116 ERA and a 306 FIP. Zach Wheeler, 208 and 397. Kyle Freeland, 241, 415. Marco Gonzalez, 306, 455. The deeper we go into this season, the more you get those low ERA, higher FIP guys, the more money will come in against them. I think Merrill Kelly is a prime example. He got faded over the weekend. The Diamondbacks still won, but I'm looking to fade him too because his contact metrics do not remotely support a 229 ERA. Lance Lynn, the market came in against him a little bit in his start over the weekend. Kyle Freeland, I would expect him to get faded uh, in his upcoming start tomorrow at Coors Field. Marco Gonzalez, he's a guy that generally outpitches his FIP anyway, and guys that get the benefit of the doubt may not be as affected, but still, there are going to be some outliers here, and we may see some market moves created as a result. A pick for tonight, I like over nine in the White Sox and Tigers game. You've got a Michael Fulmer, Daniel Norris piggyback for the Tigers. You've got Dallas Keuchel for the White Sox. Keuchel's been very good, but I don't trust ground ball guys to carry really low batting averages on balls in play. It's harder to shift right-handed batters. The Tigers have hit lefties very well. So I think Keuchel could struggle a little bit tonight. But I also think the White Sox offense should have a pretty good day. Michael Fulmer is below average. Uh, You've got Norris, who's traditionally a fly ball guy, a lefty. So some platoon advantages for the White Sox in the latter part of this game. I do like the over nine here between the White Sox and the Tigers. And as we look at that series between the White Sox and the Tigers here for a few minutes, Dallas Keuchel and Michael Fulmer today, Gio Gonzalez, Tyler Alexander tomorrow, Dylan Cease and Matt Boyd on Wednesday. Can the Tigers keep up their offensive pace? Offensively, they've been very, very good. They've hit lefties very well. They get one here, or they get two here, uh, with Keuchel and Gonzalez in this series. Does that help them score some runs? Well, it could. The White Sox offensively, look, and I wrote about this today in the article, they've faced the Indians six times, and they've faced above-average right-handed pitching from the Indians six times, and they've been bad in those games. But overall, their offensive numbers are not that bad. So when they don't face above-average right-handed pitching, they can do okay. And they get two lefties here in Alexander and Boyd, and then this Fulmer and Norris piggyback. I think the White Sox could break out a little bit offensively here in this series. One thing to watch for them from a live betting standpoint, Aaron Bummer had been very reliable. He's a sinker-heavy guy, a lot of ground balls. Uh, Rick Renteria was using him a lot. Now he's out. The White Sox have to make some adjustments here with their bullpen. The Marlins and the Blue Jays. Eliezer Hernandez and Hunjin Ryu on Tuesday. Jordan Yamamoto and Nate Pearson on Wednesday. What stands out about this series is that these will be the first games in Buffalo for the Toronto Blue Jays. They'll be playing at Salem Field. Derek Carty, who runs the bat uh, projection system, he talked a lot about Salem Field. You may want to follow him on Twitter. Uh, He'll probably update that. Uh, as we get into Tuesday's game. But his initial returns were that, you know, this ballpark in Buffalo could be pretty good for hitters. Ryu is a guy that has the decreased velocity, decreased command. I'm worried about that. 
But the Blue Jays' offense is not performing well. They are struggling to hit. They don't get Miami's best pitchers in this series. And also that Marlins bullpen, again, as I mentioned, looks like they're subject to a lot of negative variants here coming up. So maybe this is a play-on spot in the Blue Jays in both of these games. I'll have to see how I like Ryu in that matchup on Tuesday, see what that line looks like. But this may be a play-on spot for the Blue Jays, although it is a very unique situation now playing at Salem Field for the first time. Diamondbacks and Rockies at Coors Field. Robbie Ray, John Gray tonight. Zach Gallen, Kyle Freeland tomorrow. Luke Weaver, Antonio Senzatella on Wednesday. Will the Diamondbacks offense get going? They have been awful here over the early part of this season. They have had a lot of platoon split plate appearances. They've not capitalized on those. They get a righty-lefty-righty here. So we'll see what they do in this series. But like I said, I would expect money to come in against Kyle Freeland tomorrow. The market likes Zach Gallen. I like Zach Gallen. Diamondbacks will get steamed on Tuesday. On Wednesday, you've got Luke Weaver and all of his hard contact at Coors Field against Antonio Senzatella, a pitch-to-contact guy that also allows a lot of hard contact. I might be on the over there on Wednesday. We'll see what happens with Tuesday's line move. But again, I do think money comes in on the Diamondbacks on Tuesday in that Gallon and Freeland matchup. Finally, the A's and the Angels here. Sean Manaya, Julio Tehran today. Mike Fires, Dylan Bundy tomorrow. Chris Bassett, Griffin Canning on Wednesday. Dylan Bundy looks like a different dude. A lot of people out there in the sabermetric community raving about Dylan Bundy. Uh, money will come in on the Angels here on Tuesday with a fade of Mike Fires and his home road splits there in that one. I may look at the under on Wednesday with Bassett and Canning. Uh, Bassett, a contact management guy who's increased his strikeout rate. Canning, a good right-handed pitcher against a right-handed heavy lineup. Like the under a little bit there on Wednesday. But I also want to see this Angels offense do something. You know, they've they've drawn a lot of walks here so far, but not a lot of contact authority. It has definitely hurt their offensive performance to this point. So there's some things to look at here for the week ahead. As I said on Tuesday, we'll chat with Brian Blessing about golf, NASCAR, and the first round of the NHL playoffs. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.